So this morning we are we're looking at another one of Luke's stories. Well, it's a Jesus story, but Luke tells it. In Luke 14, 25 through 35, uh, you'll find it on the screen. If you've got it with you, it'll be on your screen. Uh, before we read it, let's pray together. Uh, thank you, God, for this book, for your word, for the ways in which you teach us and shape us and mold us through the stories that we find in there. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that as we, as we read and, and listen and meditate and wonder, uh, we ask that you would speak, that your voice would be the voice that we hear. So open our hearts and our minds, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke 14, 35, 25 through 35. Hear these words. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, oh, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, well, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and isn't able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and wasn't able to finish. Ha, ha, ha. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> wow. So I preached on this about three years ago, four years ago, and now we're doing it. There's, we're doing it again, but a little different this time. So I want you to pretend for a moment, use your imagination. Um, I want, you to, I want you to pretend for a moment that you have some decent physical sp skills, like you're a good athlete. Some of you probably are, but for the rest of us, let's just pretend that we are, okay? Let's pretend that you really love the game of basketball, and you want to learn how to play it well, and you have access to anyone on the planet. You can ask anyone, and they will agree to it, to teach you the game of basketball. Who would you ask? Kevin Durant, Maybe. I'd be a good person. I don't know. He's kind of an awkward dude, so I don't know if I'd go there. Maybe um, Steph Curry, maybe LeBron James, right? Any one of those people would be great. Um, but you have access to anyone on the planet, so why wouldn't you ask the greatest of all time? Why wouldn't you ask Michael Jordan? See, Michael Jordan, we're here. No, we're, we're both old. It's fine. We all get there eventually. Michael Jordan. Why, wouldn't you ask him? The greatest of all time. You'd be like, hey, Mike, MJ, 
teach me, tell me, show me. What does it take to be the best basketball player in the world? Like, show me the workouts I need to do. Show me the skills I need to work on. Show me how, show me how you did it. Give, show me your attitude. How did, you, how did you attack the game of basketball? Teach me. Show me, right? Or let's say you want to be a good guitarist. Who would you ask? Emily could probably teach you. I'm reasonably confident that she could teach anybody in this room how to play the guitar really well. What do you think? Or we could ask someone like, like James Taylor. I'm going to his concert in December. That's why I thought of him. I'm excited about that. See, I'm old too. I like JT. He's good. Right? So James, maybe you ask James Taylor. Be like, hey, JT, show me, teach me, tell me. What does it take to be a really good guitarist? What does it take? What kind of sacrifices do I need to make? Do I really get little, little calluses on my fingers? Because I don't know if I'm really into that. Just show me. Or maybe you want to be a good golfer. Who would you ask? Tiger Woods? Maybe not anymore. Let's go with an Iowan. Let's go with, let's go with Zach Johnson. So you'd be like, Zach, let me follow you around. Show me how you, let me follow you for a year. Show me what it looks like to be a really good golfer, right? And you'd probably learn some things. Now let's say you want to be a really good follower of Jesus. Who'd you ask? I don't know anymore. Who'd you ask though? Maybe Beth Moore. She'd be a good person to ask. She's pretty cool. Or maybe you ask the Pope. That would be fun. Ask the Pope, see if, see if he, could, he could teach you a few things. He, by the way, he went on a Twitter rant yesterday. It was pretty cool. You can go look at it. Anyway, or we could ask someone like N.T. Wright, giant of a theologian who's writ, written a billion books. Like, I would trust him. Or if they were still alive, we could ask people like Eugene Peterson or, uh, or maybe Dallas Willard or a whole bunch of other people, Right? But you have access to anyone in the world. Why not ask the goat, greatest of all time? I know you're all thinking me, but it's not me. Jesus. Why not ask Jesus? Be like, Jesus, how do, I, how do I be a really good follower of you? How do I be the best disciple I can possibly be? How can I live into this reality you keep talking about that's called the kingdom of God? How do I live into this reality that you keep talking about the reign of God, God's rule in this world? How do I give my life to that? Teach me, tell me, show me, give me a list. Give me a list of things. Give me something I can hold on to. What does it take, Jesus? Now, the people in our story this morning, nobody was asking that question. What does it take to follow you, Jesus? In fact, I think that not very many people in this crowd following Jesus were really interested in thinking about that, thinking about their whole responsibility in this whole thing, right? This crowd has been following Jesus around for, for quite some time now, for the better part of five chapters in Luke's Gospel, right? Ever since Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. So he's going to Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen there. The cross is ahead of him, but he resolutely says, I'm going there. And on the way, he gets this large crowd of people who are following him because they want some things. They want some stuff from Jesus, right? They're curious. They're investigating. Some of them are starting to think that he might actually be the one. He might be the one that they've all been waiting for for a really long time. This one they call the anointed one, or this one they would call the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior who would come and, and liberate little Israel from 
the Romans. You see, Israel was a prime little real, piece of real estate. You know this, right? It essentially connected Egypt with the rest of the Middle East. You connect, you connect this little slice of land, and you control all the trade routes that connect that. Right? And so you can stand to become a pretty powerful nation. You can stand to get, get, accumulate quite a bit of wealth if you control that little piece of land. Right? But right now, they've been occupied. And they've been occupied by all sorts of different nations for a long period of time. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, and others. They were an oppressed people. And what were they looking for? They were looking for liberation. These people were looking for rescue. Right? And it seems to me that Jesus understands this about this crowd. He seems to be pretty certain that they don't really understand why he's come and how he's going to do the things that he's doing. To rescue, surely. That's what Jesus has come for. But he hasn't just come to rescue a little nation from their enemies. He's come to start a movement of people. Like This is much bigger than that. A movement of people paying attention to God's presence in this world. He's come to start a movement of people who live into this reality that he calls the kingdom of God. He's come to start a movement of people. He's come to, he's come to not just rescue a little nation, but he's come to change the whole world. And he wants this crowd of people in on it. See, the people don't just get saved by grace in this relationship with Jesus. That's not just what it's... It's that... And then some. People get saved by grace, and then they actually get to participate in sharing God's grace with the world, living a completely different kind of life, completely transformed way of being in this world. They get to, get to be involved in something much, much bigger than their own little lives. They get to be involved with God transforming the world, and that isn't an easy thing to do. So, as this crowd follows Jesus, he stops dead in his tracks and he turns and looks at them because he wants to make sure they know exactly what it is they're getting into here. What are they in for? Right? He wants them to know what it takes to follow Jesus. Right? So he turns to them and says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and his kids, even his own life, can't be my disciple. What? Like, that doesn't sound like rescue. Like, we want rescue. We want liberation. That doesn't, this seems like a whole new order of things. Hate my family? Like, I mean, my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister, even my wife and my kids can be annoying sometimes. As, do, as can I. Right? But I don't hate them. I... I love them. We love our family. So what is Jesus even talking about here? Well, I think there are two basic ways we can sort of come at this. Two, two different angles. So maybe hate is just the figure of speech, right? And there's nothing really angry or hostile about it, right? Maybe it's just a priority thing. Like right now, it's football season. Let me explain it like this. Uh, and I'm not going to do a Hawks versus Cyclones thing because that seems a little dangerous. So instead, we're going to stick with the NFL. It's a little safer. So I'm a, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. I, st I don't know why. I still don't know why. But I am. So I would say something like this. I love the Minnesota Vikings, but I hate the Bears, man. Now here's the deal. I don't really hate the Bears. I don't know any of them personally. 
Like, there's no real animosity there, right? But it's just like a priority thing. I'm committed to the Vikings. So maybe this is a priority thing. Jesus is saying, okay, it's good to love your family, even yourself, just love me more, right? Make me number one in your life. So it could be that. We've all heard that sermon, right? We've heard that a number of times. So maybe there's something more going on here. Maybe there's something deeper that's happening here. And maybe this word hate functions as a, as, a, as a hyperbole, right? An exaggeration of an action that he's calling us to make, right? So what is hate? Well, we could think of hate as like a, like a rupture in a relationship or a break in a relationship. But maybe it's not, maybe it's not breaking for the purpose of devaluing or destroying, right? Maybe what Jesus is calling us to do is to break our relationships with the ones we love the most in order to remake them in light of our relationship with Jesus. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Break our relationships with the ones we love the most and recreate them, remake them in light of our relationship with Jesus. In other words, I used to relate to this person this way, but now in light of my relationship with Jesus, I now relate to them in this way, in the way of Jesus, in the way of grace, in the way of love, in the, in, in the way of mercy, in the way of healing, in the way of forgiveness, in the way of reconciliation, right? The way of selfless love. So what does this look like? Well, for a husband, it might look like this. Instead of a domineering attitude, uh, demanding total submission from his wife, ew, instead, he now treats her with love and respect and grace and mutual respect and is totally faithful to her. He now loves her the way Jesus loves him. The former relationship is broken, used to relate to this person this way, and now it is remade in light of Jesus. For parents, it might look like this. Instead of living through our children, trying to make them into, into all the things that we could never become, instead, we now treat our children with love and grace and respect and to seek to help them become the person that God has made them to be, right? Parents loving their children the way they have been loved by Jesus. The former relationship is broken, and it is now remade. Students, maybe students will no longer search for approval by following this questionable crowd to gain attention because now they love themselves the way that Jesus loves them. The former relationship with self is broken and now remade. Right, you see what's happening here? Right? It's a wholesale change in the way that we relate with one another in light of our relationship with Jesus. That is more than just being saved and rescued so we can go to heaven one day. Right? That begins to change and transform the world one relationship at a time. What other relationships do we need to think about breaking in order to remake them in light of our relationship with Jesus? What about our relationship with creation? What about our relationship with the government? What about our relationship with uh, a political ideology? What about 
our relationship with just America in general or this idea of nationalism or maybe there's a whole group of people. We just need to break our relationship and remake it in light of our relationship with Jesus and the way of Jesus, the way of grace, healing, forgiveness, selfless love. It takes a real load of commitment in order to do that and follow Jesus like that. But then goes on. He keeps going. He's sort of just getting started. Right? In the very next verse, we hear Jesus say, anyone who does not carry his cross, anyone who does not carry the cross and follow me can't be my disciple. So we're talking about sacrifice here. It's not just commitment to our relationships, but it's also, it's also sacrifice. I hear Jesus is making it perfectly clear that we cannot be a follower of Jesus unless we're willing to make sacrifices for what we believe in. Carrying our cross, the idea is a voluntary sacrifice, something we willingly step into, something we choose to live into. And for each of us, the sacrifice looks different. It might not be, might not be a very big sacrifice, but maybe some of us need to sacrifice more time or energy Maybe we give up a habit, or maybe some of us have to give up a hobby that we love. For still others, maybe it's, it's sacrificing a career path because it doesn't quite line up with the values that we now have in light of our relationship with Jesus. The sacrifice will look different for all of us, but there remains one common theme, the willingness to do whatever it takes, to give up and sacrifice, to lay our very lives down, just like Jesus did. Maybe it's sacrificing your reputation so that, you can, so that you can embrace people who've been marginalized or pushed to the side. We all know what sacrifice looks like, right? We all know it when we see it. When someone sacrifices for your benefit, when someone sacrifices, gives up something in order to just improve your life, your circumstances, don't you just feel that deeply? There's like another level there. And I think it does a couple of things to us. Like it instantly creates a relational bond, a closeness that wasn't there before. When someone sacrifices for your well-being to make your life better, it just instantly creates a, a relational bond that wasn't there. There's, there's a tightness there, a closeness there. Or maybe it strengthens a relational bond that you once had. And second... Doesn't it just make you want to be that kind of person? When someone sacrifices for you in a real way to make your life better, doesn't it make you, aren't you like, well, that's the kind of person I want to be like. Like, I want to, I want to be the kind of person who will do anything to make the lives of others better. Friends, Jesus literally carried a cross literally sacrificed his life for the world. And now, he says to you and me, that's the only way to live. See, the cross not only shows us that we're saved, but it also shows us how to live, sacrificing ourselves, our lives, for the benefit of others. It's the only real way to live, Jesus is saying. Sacrifice. What's it take, Jesus, to follow you? Teach me. Tell me. Show me. Oh, you did it. What does it take 
One more thing. Generosity. Right? Jesus goes on and he tells these two quick little stories. Right? That point, point to the reality that only a fool start a project that they can't then finish. So they're not going to throw everything at it. Right? So a person isn't going to build a tower if he doesn't first figure out if he's got enough cash in the bank to fund the whole project. Because if he does, people will be like, you didn't finish it? What are you doing? You didn't know? And another, a king isn't going to go to war against another king unless he knows he's got the troops to back it up, to make it happen. Right? And without the proper resources, both of these two little stories, the people will end up defeated, deflated, embarrassed. It's not going to work. So in verse 33, Jesus says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. What does it take to follow you, Jesus? It takes the generous offering of our time, talent, money, effort, everything we have to be a part of something much, much bigger and longer lasting than any of us. But here's the irony of generosity. And Jesus teaches this in all sorts of different ways. The irony of generosity is this. Every time we give, we get richer. Every time. We all know this. We've all experienced this. When you give to somebody, who's really doing the giving and who's doing the receiving? When you're really giving to somebody, don't you get back as much as you give, if not more? You see, in this reality of generosity, when you live this kind of generous lifestyle, right, the line between giving and receiving really gets blurry. How many of you know what it's like to really give generously to someone, don't you feel, don't you get back nearly as much or more than you give? Like, have you ever served on a service project? Have you ever gone somewhere, like served with your hands and your feet? We did a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, back at the bridge home. We've done some other things. But whenever you go on a service project like that, you're, you're working with your hands, you're working hard, and you're giving. And if there was a, a photographer that would follow you around and follow the group of you around and take pictures of, of the work that you're doing, and then afterwards, whoever it is you're helped, they take pictures of those people too. Like, there's going to be a common theme to those pictures. Like, on the people who are serving and the people who are receiving, there's just joy. It's just joy, real joy on everyone's faces. That's just the way it is. So when we think about this idea of following Jesus thing, man, who do we want to learn from? Who do we go to? Well, we go to the goat himself, the greatest of all time, literally. Jesus, what does it take to follow you? Commitment in our relationships, reordering all our relationships in light of our relationship with Jesus and the way he taught us. Sometimes it takes sacrifice. It takes this lifestyle of generosity. I mean, sometimes we hear these words and we think, oh my goodness, hate my family, sacrifice, give up my possessions, carry a cross. None of that sounds fun. But Jesus doesn't show us this way of living because he wants our lives to get worse, right? That's not the kind of guy he is. He shows us this way of living so that we'll experience more love in our relationships, 
more fulfillment in our sacrifices, and more joy in our giving, in our generosity. And while we're at it, we get to actually participate with God in the transforming of the world. And it's not large and huge, and it's not splashy. It doesn't make a big splash, right? It's more like, and Jesus taught about this all the time too, it's like yeast working in dough. Right? You got yeast working in dough. It's kind of flat, but over time it kind of rises and gets larger. It's like a seed planted in the soil. You don't see it working. It's hidden, right? But slowly it grows and grows into, into a, a tree that gives shade to the birds of the air. So we're not talking about big, flashy stuff. We're just, we're just talking about small little ways. Each of us lives our lives and it continues to grow and get bigger. And if enough of us Jesus people get in on this, I really do believe it transforms the world. And that's what Jesus was after. And it's what we get to be a part of. Let's pray.